The idea of exile is simply this. You are not at home. The reality we find ourselves in is not the way it should be. As I mentioned that from the very opening pages of the Bible, we were created as citizens of heaven. But a few pages in, human rebellion, sin, and our desire to be God enters the scene. And as a result, it disrupts and displaces us as humanity. Meaning that we find ourselves living in a broken, fragmented reality here on earth. Earth as God did not intend. So the overarching idea is that we are living in a reality that's not as it should be. And on some level, you know this to be true. We live in a reality where the home team doesn't always win. Things are not the way they should be. This doesn't feel like home all the time, does it? And I mean, it should. It was intended to. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've probably felt this tension before. And on some level, you felt this deep down. Whether you've stopped to think about it, you felt this. Just turn on the news or look at the injustice and corruption all around us. We feel this in the breakdown of relationships or in the oppression and exploitation of the marginalized. We live in a fallen, broken world. And if you're not a follower of Jesus or you don't believe any of this God stuff, you felt this tension as well, that things are not the way they should be. Like, I mean, have you ever asked the question, why do bad things happen? Where did you get the sense that things aren't right? Why is it that you felt deep in your gut that something is wrong here? Where did that come from? I want to suggest that that comes from the fact that you were created a citizen of heaven. You were designed for relationship with God. Those feelings that things aren't as they should be are echoes of your true home. The author of the book of Ecclesiastes says that he, that is God, he has also set eternity in the human heart. God has imprinted our true home on the human heart. That's why we feel this reality. The biblical story and our human story says that we live in a sort of exile. So how do we navigate the tension? How do we live as a citizen of heaven and also a citizen of the world that is broken and not as it should be? Because when we look around, there is corruption and injustice all around. There's sickness and there's death. There's the exploitation of the innocent and the marginalized. Some even cheer for the wrong football teams. And we also find ourselves living under human authority. Governments we don't always agree with. This is particularly relevant now, isn't it? We've just witnessed two elections recently, one provincially and one south of the border. How do we live under a government that we aren't on their team? As followers of Jesus, how do we navigate the tension of our dual citizenship? Pastor Wayne last week proposed two potential postures that we take as we navigate the tension. The first is isolation. We separate ourselves from the culture. We fully disconnect. We create Christian subcultures. We do whatever it takes to separate. And within this idea is we actually sometimes push negatively against the culture or anyone that doesn't align with us, furthering the alienation. And the danger of this is that we make no impact in the world around us. We leave it in its fallen, broken state. 
making no effort to make it better, making no effort to make it the home it was intended to be. The other posture is immersion. We live according to the values of the culture. What the culture strives for, we also strive for. We fully embrace our citizenship to the world and become more like it, consuming as much as we can for our own kingdom, no matter who it affects in the process. And the danger in this is we live no different than the world and make no impact on it at all. In fact, the more concerning danger is that we contribute to the problem more than we impact it for good. But the good news is that there is a third way. There is a third way to live that will help us navigate the tensions of living as exiles. There is a way that can help us figure out how to live as a citizen of heaven and a citizen of earth, even though earth isn't how it should be or as God intended it. In Jeremiah's letter to the Israelite exiles, he writes to a people who are trying to navigate the same tensions. Jeremiah writes, Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Okay, what does that mean? Doesn't that sound a lot like compromise? Is Jeremiah suggesting that we ought to just embrace the culture around us and become like Babylon? I mean, if you were a Jew in exile, you'd be confused by reading this. And there would likely be two postures that you could have taken in this scenario. You know, the first is you'd resist. You would resist either by revolting against Babylon or you'd resist by withdrawing altogether. Or you'd give in. You would adopt the culture and the lifestyle of the Babylonians, often meaning you would start worshiping their gods. But Jeremiah is not calling them to do either of these. He's calling them and us into a third way of living. Jeremiah is calling them to settle in, to build houses, have families, and most strangely, seek the prosperity of Babylon. Even pray for it. I mean, praying for Nebuchadnezzar, the very tyrant king that carried you into exile. Quick aside, when was the last time you prayed for our political leaders? Like even the ones you don't agree with. When was the last time you prayed for our mayor or our premier? When did you last pray for Prime Minister Trudeau, whether you agree with him or not? As a follower of Jesus, do you spend more time complaining about our elected officials than you do praying for them? It's something to think about. When it comes to Jeremiah's third way approach, there's a different posture, and it's all about influence. And there's a character in the Old Testament who is an excellent example of this attitude shift. That character is Daniel. Now, Daniel is one of the people that have been taken into exile. And Daniel, with his royal heritage and education, is taken along with three friends to work in the courts of the king of Babylon. They're recruited to work for the enemy. When we read this story, it seems like there's two potential things they could do. Conform and embrace fully the culture, 
Or as all good underdog stories go, they could lull the king into a false sense of trust and then assassinate him in his sleep. Revolt or compromise. But rather, Daniel lives the third way Jeremiah is suggesting. Daniel and his friends took on Babylonian names, dressed like Babylonians, and served the king of Babylon. They take the role of a servant. They seek the well-being of the city. You could look at this story and wonder if Daniel and his friends are really just compromising and giving up their citizenship to God's kingdom in favor of the one they find themselves in. But as we read on, we begin to see how they navigate this tension. We see throughout their story opportunities where they draw the line and make the decision that their ultimate loyalty belonged to God. They were citizens of heaven first. They sought the well-being of the kingdom, but their loyalty belonged to God. Let's look at two examples from Daniel's story, starting with chapter one of the story. As part of their onboarding into the courts of Babylon, they are assigned food and wine by the king. On the surface, and probably the first time you read this story, this doesn't seem like a big deal. It's just food, right? But as we dig a little bit deeper, we recognize that food and diet is very important to Daniel because he's a Jew. And as the covenant people of God, Jews had different dietary restrictions. So eating some of the Babylonian food would have gone against his commitment to God. So what does Daniel do? How does he navigate this? Daniel asks for permission from the guard if he and his friend could abstain from eating the food in order to stay loyal to God. The guard responds that he fears for his life that if Daniel and his friends aren't healthy or as healthy as the other men their age due to their limited diet, that because of them, the king would have his head. Like, talk about a high-pressure work environment. So this is a predicament. How does Daniel stay loyal to his God and seek the prosperity of the city, in this case, this guard's life, without being compromised? Rather than withdrawing or revolting or simply giving in, Daniel asks for a trial period. He says, Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance to what you see. So he, the guard, agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Take note at the graciousness and humility of Daniel in this request. As much as staying loyal to God was important, it was equally important that the guard's life would not be ruined in the process. Seek the well-being of the city and those in it. And what happens after 10 days? Verse 15 and 16 says this, At the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Like, I'm sure Daniel wasn't super popular after this, but it turns out that Daniel's way, which was actually God's way, was better. It turned out to be a better way to live. And so those around them made a lifestyle switch as a result. Because of Daniel's influence, he changed their dietary regimen for the better. And as you read on, Daniel's influence grew and grew in Babylon to the point where he held high-ranking positions. There is no doubt in my mind that Daniel's influence changed elements of the kingdom 
while displaying his loyalty to God above all. Daniel's influence had grown so much that in the reign of King Darius, it was said of Daniel that he distinguished himself among the other administrators because of his exemplary qualities. The king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. This is huge. Daniel's character had allowed his influence in Babylon to grow to the point where the king had planned to put him in charge of all of it. This is no small detail. And if you read on, you'll find out that this is part of the famous lion's den story. What happens in the lion's den is nothing short of a miracle. But let's not focus on that part of the story. Let's keep the spotlight on Daniel and those around him. First, the other administrators. They weren't happy about this at all. So they come up with a plan to foil Daniel's ascent. But they have no dirt or cause that can do that. They say, we'll never find any basis for charges against Daniel unless it has something to do with the laws of his God. Daniel's character and integrity are so strong that the only thing that they can hold against him is the very thing that he should be celebrated for, his loyalty to his God. This is amazing. Like, way to go, Daniel. So they convince the king to make a law against prayer, tricking the king to create basis for a charge to kill Daniel. Daniel, staying loyal to his God, continues to pray. He draws the line here, but not in a way that mirrors resistance. He simply goes to his upper room and continues to pray there. And they catch him, and they throw him into the lion's den, and God miraculously saves him. And I know I'm glossing over the best part of the story, the dramatic rescue of God, but I want to look at the king in this story. When he figures out what happened and that the sole purpose of this law was to trap Daniel, the king tries everything to reverse it. And when it can't be, he fasts throughout the night. He can't sleep. And first thing in the morning, he goes to see if Daniel's alive. Now this response by the king illustrates for us the kind of influence Daniel has on him. He is so well-liked that the king tries everything to save him. And when he can't, he worries about him all night even praise from at one point. This is the kind of influence that can change a kingdom. The question is, how does this make sense to us? We don't live under a dictator where we're constantly in danger of being thrown to the lions or killed for our loyalty to God. If we lived in other parts of the world, the application might sound different. So what are we to do with this? For us, this story and the third way of living is about influence. Daniel is navigating the tension of living in two kingdoms by trying to be an influencer and not the kind of social media influencers we have today, but by living where his loyalty is to God and where his desire is to see people thrive. That's where his true influence lies. He is doing the work of making a foreign reality more like home, the home it should be. The reason that Daniel knew when to be loyal and when to draw the line so that he could be an influence for good was because he was clear what the values, priorities, and purposes of God are. He was intimately aware of them. They were embedded in who he was. He knew what God was for and what he was against. And this is important because if we aren't aware of the values, priorities, and purposes of God, 
It is so easy to head in the wrong way, to align with the wrong things, and ultimately we become more like the world or worse, we make things worse. Daniel was so in sync with God and his values, priorities, and purposes, his influence grew and he was ultimately able to impact those around him in a profound way. And it allowed him to navigate the tensions around him. We live in a complex, broken, and fallen world, a world that's not as it should be. The way of the exile is a way of humble influence. As followers of Jesus, God has invited us to make this current reality more like home, more like the world he intended it to be. That's the call he's placed on us as citizens of heaven on earth. The questions we need to ask ourselves today are, are we living in a way that people around us would say that we're an influence? Are we living in a way where people can look at us and say there's something different about us? And would people see more of the world or more of the kingdom of God when they interact with us? If we were to pull people around you, around us, would they say that you are being an influence for good in this world? Or are you just contributing to the brokenness? These are important questions to ask because as citizens of heaven, as followers of Jesus, the call is to make this world better, to make it more like God intended it. And if you aren't sure how to do this or how to live with the values, priorities, and purposes of God, stick around for the rest of the series. We are going to unpack this more. But the one thing that was crucial in Daniel's life was that he stayed centered in God by prayer. Daniel had an idea of what God wanted him to do by spending time daily with him in prayer. And not just once, but three times a day. Daniel took times during the day to refocus on God, and I imagine asked God for help with what to do in different situations. Daniel would have prayed for the well-being of the city and its leaders. Daniel would have prayed for God's will to be done in Babylon as it is in heaven. Prayer and time spent with God was absolutely central to Daniel's ability to live the third way. And it needs to be central to us as we navigate this reality too. As we've talked about influence today, I want to leave a story with you. Eleanor Roosevelt was the wife and first lady for President Franklin D. Roosevelt, who was one of the longest serving presidents in United States history. And he led them through the Great Depression and the Second World War. He was influential in his own right. But Eleanor was a person of influence too. She revolutionized the role of first lady by taking it, as a, taking it from a ceremonial role to becoming an incredible activist for human rights, eventually becoming one of the first U.S. representatives at the UN. Her influence began way sooner though, when she was at school, in fact. Eleanor's care for those around her were on, was on full display. And at her school, each Saturday, the girls would put a flower or small gift on the bed of a girl that they admired. And each Saturday, Eleanor would come in to a bed full of flowers. Are you the kind of person that would have a bed full of flowers? Flowers from the people that you've interacted with over the past week. Would they say that you've made the world a bit better. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you call us into this third way of living. Lord, that you've placed us on this earth and in our particular circumstances, God, to be an influence for good. Lord, I pray that you would give us the wisdom and guidance to live within the tensions, Lord. We live in a broken world. But God, would you help us make it better? Would you help us make it more like you intended it to be? God, would you allow us to bring heaven to earth? God, would you allow us to make this more like home? We pray this in your name. Amen.